0: Hey, I'm Jess Fitzgibbon, and welcome back to the Creative Wellbeing Podcast, a series of real and raw conversations supporting the connection with your unique creative voice to inspire a fulfilling and beautiful life. Our second episode, Embodied Wisdom, is with my own creative mentor and Vedic meditation teacher, Rachel Sardalich. Rachel's deep curiosity and desire to build a community of rich, secure and creative inner lives is what led her to support and empower others to embody their highest expression. After a long career in the arts and media industries, Rachel is highly attuned to creative well-being. Her approach is multidisciplinary and informed by Vedic wisdom and ancient technologies, modern neuroscience somatic healing modalities and a deep understanding of working alongside artists and creative professionals. From her home on the south coast of New South Wales on Darawal country, Rach and I caught up to discuss the power of connecting to our bodies and the deep well of wisdom that can be found within. Begin then. Yay. <laughs> oh, well, I'm just so grateful to be in your home here today, on the south coast of New South Wales and Dharawal Country. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, thank you for coming, Jess. <laughs> We've been on quite the journey, so it's so beautiful to have you here with our cups of tea yeah. and sprinkling rain outside and the heater on. And yeah, had a very dry a chat.
0: Very dry drive down, which is nice. <laughs> Um, Rach, you're one of the most nurturing people I've ever met and it's, yeah, it's an absolute honour to talk to you today and you've taught me so much as my creative mentor over the last 12 months, even though it feels like three or four years. (laughs) Um, and you have so much to share, I'm sure, but I really want to talk today about our embodied wisdom and connecting with our body and your, um, experience on that as a somatic practitioner. Um, so when I first started working with you, Rach, I was completely detached from my body and you invited me very early on in our process to start noticing sensations in my body. Mm -hmm. Um, something I really was unfamiliar to me and, just to start labelling them and feeling them. And you explained the top-down, bottom-up approach so that Mm. a feeling in the body often leads to a thought or that a thought can lead to a feeling. Um, So firstly, I want to ask, was I unique in that I was so detached or do you find that quite common? And why do you think we suppress these sensations?
1: Mm, great question you are uh, absolutely not unique (laughs) It's very common and past versions of myself included and I think there are a couple of reasons for that one is we live in an incredibly demanding time a world that swallows up our attention and causes us to live from our heads and be completely disembodied, detached from our bodies. Mm. Um, Stress as well causes us to move from a full-bodied state into a mental state. Mm. Also, it's important to mention that trauma, and that's wide-ranging, it can be Mm. quite a triggering word for people to hear, but essentially any experience that takes us away from the ordinary functioning of our Mm. everyday lives is a form of trauma. And that can be something small and little to quite extreme. Trauma takes us away from connecting with ourselves, connecting with each other and connecting with nature. So a combination of those things. And then also the environment that we grew up in, if we weren't, and that's common for most of us, right? Mm. So if we weren't, raised in an environment where we were encouraged to feel our feelings or we were asked, what do you feel about that? Mm. Instead of what do you think about that? Which is usually what we get. We grow up completely detached from from our bodies Mm. when in fact there is this beautiful interface of wisdom that we can access when we start to reconnect to our body. Mm. And the result of Coming home and feeling comfortable within our body is this whole rich aliveness and a whole new experience of life that we can experience. Mm. Um, Also, from a creative standpoint, creativity is an impulse that moves through the body that we then experience as a feeling or in the mind space. Mm -hmm. So part of our work together or part of your intention was to really come home to this creative part of you that was calling for your attention. Mm. So connecting with the body was the first step. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I found it it was really uncomfortable in the beginning. I remember going for a walk um, and noticing all of these sensations that I must have just been blocking out. Mm. Um, I was feeling a bit nauseous or a slight headache um, or some like back pain. Mm. And it became a little bit, I wouldn't say overwhelming, but just uncomfortable. Mm. And I remember starting to observe that impulse to numb, which is what I had been doing pretty much my whole life. So that for me looked like looking at my phone Mm -hmm. or calling a friend or wanting a drink, or something like that. Um, and it took me a while to start getting used to sitting with it and observing it. Um, and then the wisdom of, well, why am I feeling nauseous? <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about what happens when we allow those feelings to be there.
1: Yeah. Um, so the first step when I'm working with individuals to kind of introduce this concept of like, Really feeling into our body because you know, when I teach people to meditate, which is another aspect of my work, yeah, you know, when they first come out of meditation, I'll be like, How do you feel? and 99.9% of people will be like, Good, (laughs) because that's the only language we have, Mm, yeah. So, the first step to this process is really cultivating more language first before we can kind of decipher or go any deeper. It's like, Okay, how does it feel? So What I'll often give to my clients is just a couple of words to kind of direct their awareness to. So things like, do you feel open? Do you feel closed? Do you feel dense? Mm. Do you feel hollow? Do you feel sparkly, you know? Because often there's, I feel good or I'm in pain. Yeah. There isn't really a spectrum, but there's actually a whole conversation going on. And you're right, that can be really overwhelming. It's almost like I've opened the door and there's all these things flooding in that mm. I have been unconsciously suppressing. So the first, so that's the first step. Yeah. Is really understanding that there is this interface of, of communication. The second part is starting to cultivate language. And then the third step, which is really important, is about cultivating a sense of safety yeah. first before we start to decipher and be able to sit with these feelings for longer than just an awareness of. Yeah. Because through the lens of IFS or internal family systems, which is one of the modalities that I bring into my mentoring work. Mm-hmm is all about seeing these different um, sensations that often are tied with storylines in the mind yeah. as parts. They're all these little parts that make make up who we are and they're like little protectors. They're protecting something. Mm. And often when we get close to these protectors and we start shining a light on them because they're predominantly lived in our subconscious, that can be really uncomfortable And if we haven't learnt the tools to be able to feel grounded and safe Mm. and we haven't learnt how to have this really tender curiosity, Mm. this tenderly curious approach to looking at what's going on, Mm. what we would typically do is shun and shame and judge these feelings that we've been running away from. So cultivating safety would be the next step and learning different practices and working with a trained professional who is trauma-informed that's really important yeah um because if there is a sense of shutting down it's often because there's a part of ourselves that has a really important job to do to keep us safe which is why we haven't kind of figured out
0: yeah Yeah, that's so true um and when it does get overwhelming Mm. um how do you guide your clients through ways to self-soothe in ways that are healthier than perhaps what our protector is habitually used to? So for me, for a long time, it was socializing and drinking. And that was the way I sort of had a good time, but didn't realize I was also running to that when things were getting really challenging. So what are some of the ways that when it does get too much, when just Mm. sitting in that discomfort feels like i need to be distracting myself or how do i work with
1: this how would you guide people with that Mm -hmm. i think it's really important firstly to honor that we should always listen to the body Mm -hmm. and if something feels like too much honor that yeah we don't want to be pushing past that point we don't even want to get to where it's extreme yeah if we think about think about it through the lens of having this window of tolerance so we have this part of ourselves where we can we feel safe, we feel comfortable, we might know that the sensation's there. And then if there was a circle just outside that window that's, that kind of made us feel safe but a little bit uncomfortable, anywhere outside of that line, which mm. is like too uncomfortable, we'd never want to be in that experience by choice without a trained practitioner mm. holding space for that. So I think it's just really important to own that there's a whole threshold here yeah, that, and we want to – tread gently mm. um, so assuming that an individual who is really interested to start exploring their inner world and start to kind of understand why they have this discomforts and learn to integrate them and understand themselves a little bit better I would suggest um, first I would introduce some practices for a yeah. client so um different practices that Encourage a sense of feeling grounded in the body so that we know that when it gets too much, where to redirect our attention mm. and, and with, with different breath work practices, with different touch, with different um, thought forms that we can bring into our mind mm. that guide us to another sense of safety. They kind of take us to this calm, healing island mm. and then we can pulsate. So I'm just going to go in and have a look and then I'm going to come back to my safe island. Mm. Another thing that I think is really important, particularly in the initial stages, is journaling. Yeah. From a space of free writing. So as an example, what we might do is go, okay, so we're, we're sitting in a comfortable seat, we're breathing into our body, and now we're going to bring in this idea of just tenderly looking at some sensations that are, that are new. Mm-hmm. So first we want to kind of locate the area that it is inside the body And then we want to come out and journal about it. So that's another way of pulsating in and out. Okay. Also, if then, once you've done a bit of exploration, there is a desire to go into a coping mechanism that has worked for a really long time over working, having a glass of wine, Excessive eating, shopping, all of those things have worked for a really long time. So mm. we don't want to just expect we can turn them off overnight. Yeah. So the first step is creating awareness by bringing the conscious awareness through these practices, to starting to journal it out a little bit and yeah. starting to get curious on the page. Yeah. And then checking in with your body. Because what we do when we start to bring these practices in is we give these sensations space. Mm. And when they have space, we can then discern okay, so this practice that I've been doing or this mechanism of coping that I've been doing for a long time, does that work for me right now? Or is there something else I want to do? Mm. And sometimes the body's going to be like, yeah, I just really want to do that. But you may then, over time, have one glass instead of a bottle. Mm. Or you may realize over time that leaning on a practice like meditation, which is super mm. supportive, mm. You will will assist in finding and cultivating that sense of safety and our capacity to hold those emotions without the instant need to um numb or soothe yeah Yeah.
0: absolutely
1: I I think for me
0: writing over time has become that because Mm -hmm. I allowed it to be there for me in those moments where I just needed to process and I didn't want to do it in my head (laughs)
2: Mm, yeah
0: and it is quite a physical thing writing in a book too like Mm. it is quite somatic in itself but now I find when I'm in a stressful situation even if I'm out I'll just grab my phone and type into my notes and there's something about just getting it out of my body out of my head onto something physical yeah that really helps Bearing
2: witness yeah yeah yeah. Mm.
0: that's really helpful Mm. um so yeah you've spoken about seeing a therapist, like I see a psychologist, um, fortnightly and I'm, you know, I find that very valuable, but there's been something very grounding about the work we've done in that we're asking our body for guidance. So rather than being up in the head, Mm -hmm. thinking through everything, it's listening to the body. Um, Especially because I am an overthinker (laughs) (laughs) and it gets a bit confusing up there trying to work out what's going on and what direction I need to take. So how can we start asking our bodies for guidance Mm -hmm. and where do you see the main differences are between
1: asking the body for guidance rather than the mind? Yeah. So a couple of different ways to answer that question. One is I think it's important to note that working with another trained mentor or practitioner Mm. who facilitates a process of you opening that communication portal is really important um, in a really safe way. So just for anyone listening to understand that we set up a whole framework for you now to – to have the skills to be able to do that in a really comfortable way, and you're you're integrating really seamlessly as different triggers and sensations come up. Yeah. Um, aside from that, I think learning tools that take us beyond the conscious mind are really important. So, ninety-five percent of the things we do are unconscious. Ninety-five no, percent. <laughs> so, what meditation? gives us and certainly gave me in my journey is a means to go beyond that thinking mind Mm. and into the body so then we start to open up to this interface of the body and then when we come out of meditation we draw that presence into our everyday life Mm. so that that act of re-embodying happens through the tool of of meditation also, some great breathwork techniques. Anything ancient that has a history attached to it, mm. that has a lot of science back to it, that you feel compelled or called to do mm. um, in this kind of ancient technology realm, can be really supportive. So, I think that's a way that we start connecting to the body, and then once we feel that sense of embodiment, mm. then it can can literally be an act of asking. Yeah, you know, I often suggest to clients when they come out of meditation or come out of a gentle somatic breathing practice to then check in what is how does the body feel about something Mm. so the idea of intuition yeah or um the felt sense the the i think it's easiest for me to bundle those two together but there are many different theories of how they're separate as well um this is our our mechanism of feeling our way through life that's deeply connected to our true most resourced self. Mm. The mind's unpredictable. The mind doesn't know how to see impossibility. Mm. The mind is actually designed to take a worst-case scenario and project it into the future, which can be really limiting. Mm. So when we learn to cultivate intuition and the felt sense through body practices – we can literally start to check in with the body and ask, how do I feel about this? And when something feels true, it feels charming, it feels open, it feels expansive, it feels exciting. When something is a no, sometimes what we can feel is the body literally shuts down from the center. We mm. feel a closing. Yeah. And then sometimes we just feel aversion and we don't know. Mm. And that's a signal to take stock get a bit more information before we decide Mm. so in the lens of um, Vedanta or or Vedic wisdom of which one of the modalities I'm trained in we'll talk a lot about charm or aversion okay and when we cultivate that connection to our body that's how we can receive that wisdom of what's truly right for us beyond the bullshit that the mind speaks to us yeah that's true
0: and I think even sometimes after going for a walk or When you've created space in your life, it becomes a lot clearer to to you what your body is signaling and Mm. you can feel excitement or joy or, you know, when it's a yes and when it's a no, it feels like an obligation, it feels heavy and Mm. you start to observe that very quickly once you're doing this sort of work.
1: Yeah, the space piece I think is is really important because we're living in an epidemic of stress right Mm. and so ways in which we can reduce our stress or find space to come back to ourselves like a beautiful walk in nature Mm. or journaling which we've discussed yeah these practices allow us to clear that channel for us to access our wisdom yeah and our creative wisdom moves through that same channel
0: yeah absolutely um so talking a little bit more about creativity now, Mm -hmm. Um, this is all creative, (laughs) but just to be more specific, I remember calling you, um, I remember our conversation very clearly, and I was so intrigued by what you did as a creative mentor, and I was like, I want to do that too, (laughs) and what I meant by that was I want to understand how to work through these blocks that I was experiencing around my creativity that I just couldn't seem to move through. Um, And I remember just feeling very frustrated and not wanting to give up again. I knew there had to be ways to overcome or, you know, just accept um, these parts of myself to then move through them. Um, So you've worked with many artists and creative professionals over your career, including working in the music industry for many years. So what initially drew you to this industry And how did you find your true purpose through it?
2: Mm.
1: So I think I'd like to start by sharing my personal view of what purpose is. Because it can be um, quite loaded, right? Yes, absolutely. I think for some people, the idea of purpose is this one magical thing that your soul is designed to do and it's a destination that in this lifetime we've got to find this role and it's typically linked to our profession and an income and when we get there everything will be blissful and a lot of
0: pressure (laughs) so much pressure so
1: much pressure right whereas for me um I subscribe to through my own self-work, I've kind of landed in this awareness that purpose or, or dharma, which is a Vedic term, is more of something that arises within you and it's the way that creativity is expressed through you in every day hmm. once we have become deeply connected to who we are beyond the mind. Yes. That, that subtle self. Yeah. Um, so that, that process for me has... Um, has been a pathway of letting go of things that didn't align for me, mm-hmm. and and moving towards the things that felt good. Yeah. So with the music industry, mm. it's quite wild. I worked. I had a whole over a decade career working in luxury hotels,
2: mm.
1: <laughs> and um, essentially, my role in the last few years was as a international sales director whose responsibility was to um, bring the cool creative crowd Mm. if you like (laughs) into boutique luxury hotels I was a consultant that different hotel groups hired me to be to to work for them and and bring in um, the movers and shakers within the creative realm yeah and throughout that that period of time i cultivated really great relationships with artists with their immediate teams with record labels here in australia and also overseas and I'd gotten to this point where I no longer wanted to work in sales. It was, sales yeah. was never really my jam to be <laughs> honest. I just really liked connecting with people and having nice meals and, you yeah. know, you're probably naturally a great salesperson <laughs> because of that.
0: <laughs> I have heard people say yeah. that,
1: but yeah, it's so funny how, um, yeah, we have these names for things, but actually we find ourselves yeah. doing roles that just lend itself to our personality. Yeah. And so, um, I also learned to meditate around this time and, started to like you mentioned earlier started to discern like is this right for me is this true for me Mm. and I just felt this really big pull to understand more of what was happening within an artist's world like Mm. I've always been fascinated about the process of creativity the birthing of something new something starts as an idea and then it grows and then it's expressed and um what I started to see within my role in hotels was these these fleeting moments of of the inner world of the professional artist yeah. and all the people that were involved in that yeah and so i i took a leap like i left a really well paying career as an independent consultant mm. and started as a manager's assistant wow. like just decided that that's what i wanted to do and that's where the spark was and mm. so i found myself working in the music industry for 6 years mm. yeah yeah and what what
0: did you find working with artists what did you learn about them
1: when you about the creative process mm. like what were you observing so i i shifted into a day-to-day manager role quite quickly mm. and essentially their job is to manage literally the day-to-day responsibilities of an artist mm. and in an artist's entire world i spent more time with my artists than i did anybody else in my life wow. and traveling and and you know, creativity is deeply connected to our personal world and the inner dynamics of working with bands. Mm. And what I started to to learn was the complexities of creativity mm. and how crippling our fears can be mm. and um, the, the pressure and the challenges to constantly be creating output while still being inspired mm. and... Um, that's really what led me to doing this work. Yeah, beautiful. Um,
0: So tell us a a bit about the work you're doing now, um, specifically around your creative mentoring. And I guess what are some of the tools that you use to create that safety, to let creativity shine through and also to provide that container that allows people to be vulnerable? Mm.
1: So I think part of it is um, the work that I've done on myself, like the tender, deep diving through my own wounds and mental challenges and limitations. It's been a lifelong process. So I get it, like I understand it. So my approach as a creative mentor is really tender and gentle and it's really about holding space for everything that is and that's showing up, Mm. you know one day I can just be a soundboard for whatever's whatever's taking shape for that individual. Yeah. Um, because when, like you mentioned before, when you're trying to figure everything out in your head, mm. there's so much going on mm. that sometimes we just need to like pull it all out and see it to make sense of who we are and what our truth is. Yeah. And then we kind of get the clarity that we need to move forward. Yeah. So I think part of it is in the – the experience that I've had Mm. like lived experience part of it is working firsthand with artists and and understanding the the needs of the artists and Mm. the needs of creativity Mm. you know the space that it needs the the environment that it needs to be cultured Mm. um and then Coupling that with the actual study that I've done in Vedic meditation and to various different modalities of somatic therapy and somatic parts work and um, energetic practices that all come from a trauma-informed approach. Mm. And I think that is where individuals who are feeling fearful and confused and stuck and want to be able to create freely we're all searching for the wave we just want to create the wave and we want to make room for the wave but we don't always know how to access it and there's often some suffering or trauma that can be connected to that yeah so through my work as a creative mentor i hold space for all of that Mm. and the practical side too like how do i shape this new creation this Mm. new business this new song how do i I'm a space where people can dream and vision like creativity needs a direction too, you know, it's, it's a space where, you know, imagination runs wild and free and also anchored in, um, embodied practices and tools so that people can become self-sufficient. So Mm. I kind of invite people in and I give them the tools and I'm here then beyond that to check in, but Mm. to set them up with what life hasn't really given us as a society, because, Mm. We're all creative beings. Mm. Creativity, creative consciousness wants to move through us all. We just need a little bit of guidance to clear the channel. Exactly.
2: Mm.
0: And I'm sure you've found, you know, lots of different people um, with lots of different industry that they're working in come to you for this creative mentorship because it's not just about art is it
1: (laughs) it's so interesting because of my experience that's where it started it started with musicians because I saw a gap within an artist team I was like so there's somebody managing like the marketing of their music there's somebody managing all their gigs like where do they go when they're having a mental breakdown and they have an album <laughs> yeah. due the next day? Like, where do they go when they're feeling completely dry and they have a deadline coming? You know, it started there. Yeah. And then it grew through word of mouth. And it's like, yeah, creativity ex- expresses through all of us. Mm. So then it kind of moves through all these different creative professionals. Mm. But then my story Mm. is is as a woman who never thought she was creative Mm. and always thought that my role was to support the artist, Mm. but now I'm living my own creativity with all of the journeys that I dream up and the offerings I dream up and this work that I do is my creativity. So I was like, there are more people like me who want to get in touch with that part of themselves. So now what I do is really open to anybody who feels called to tap into that creative consciousness, to unlock to become receptive to to channel it hmm. in every aspect of their life so it's 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 an open slather to creativity yeah. yeah I
0: think a lot of the time um you know just in various books I've read the question will be think back to what you love doing as a child
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I think a lot of people have these um passions that they just don't want to take seriously, but also they don't need to turn them into a career. Mm. Like creativity doesn't need to be bringing in all of our income. It doesn't need to have all the expectations behind it. There's so much more to be gained by exploring that creative side of ourselves. And I think sometimes we put artists on a bit of a pedestal or because I'm not Picasso or whoever, like Mm. I can't can't do that. And we compare ourselves and it really – kind of slams the door shut of play in our lives Mm, 100
1: percent. like I can't draw (laughs) like I can't like I I have fun to paint like I don't paint any better than a five-year-old and a lot of people associate creativity with those physical arts like I can't take a good photo either yeah but creativity is 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 our you-ness, yeah. our true usness mm. that is inside that wants to come out yeah. beyond the constraints that we have built through our upbringing yeah. through society structures through all these limitations that say stay small mm. you know you'll never be enough mm. you're unworthy mm. and once we start breaking through those patterns we're like yeah that's when play comes in this feels really good i want to learn about this thing yeah. i want to do this thing oh my god i've got an idea to create a business that does this all of that is creativity. Yeah. And that's where life force comes. Yeah. It's tapping into more of that and allowing that to be free without the burdens and the structures mm. of it having to be, I need to be great at this thing. Yeah. When we feel like we have to be great at something, we suffocate creativity. When we stay in the realm of play and exploration and curiosity, that's when like life becomes really fun. Yeah. Mm.
0: And I think um without creative expression. It's about allowing ourselves to be a beginner. Yeah. And I struggle with that a lot. Like I remember the first time I went skiing, I just sucked at it. And I'm like, (laughs) I give up (laughs) and walked down the hill with my skis off and went and had schnapps. (laughs) But it was just this reluctance to make a fool of myself Mm -hmm. or to, I don't know, I guess I was comparing myself to my friend who was a pro skier. Like, and that's the thing we – we don't give ourselves the opportunity to even have a go. And I think a lot of the time people come to me with creative ideas. I had a friend call me today with the most amazing idea. And it's almost wanting to ask permission, like, yeah. is this okay? Or is this just silly? Is this just in my head? Or And I think maybe there have been people in our lives. And that's why good teachers like yourself are so important, because Sometimes when we share things with the wrong people, mm. it can snuff out the idea very quickly mm. and kind of make us feel small again. Um, I think learning to trust ourselves mm. is a big one. Um, having self-doubt around our ability or just our um, our ability to see things through yeah. as well. Like, can I actually make it to that place or is that just too big and scary and too far away? Um, And like I just said, we're often seeking that permission or validation from others Mm. um, and have a lot of doubt and resistance around our creative desires. So why do you think self-doubt is such a problem for so many of us and what are some of the ways that we can be um, repairing that self-trust?
1: Yeah. Mm. So our greatest source of suffering is from the mind. Or the mistakes of the mind. Mm. And fears are just that. Mistakes. Yeah. And then we start to identify with this like mistaken identity that Mm. that our mind has conjured up. And then then we limit ourselves. When what we're truly desiring to do is to cultivate more self trust. That's the remedy. Yeah. At any moment we're either in love or fear. When we're in fear, we shut down, we close, we cut ourselves off. And when we're in love, we're feeling open and expansive. And self-doubt, I think, is is poison. It is crippling to any form of our creative process or practice, yeah. you know. So if we, one, don't have the awareness of that, that will forever keep us small. Mm-hmm. If we just think and, and, and if we identify with that voice as who we are, then that is really limiting. So the first part is like, okay, I know that self-doubt is going to arrive. A way I like to think about self-doubt and all these other little parts, these stories, I'm not enough, somebody's doing it better than me, mm. you know, all these different versions that naturally come up when we hit our vulnerability edge. Yeah. I like to think of it as we're driving a bus, right? And all these parts are on the bus. Yeah. And self-doubt gets on and starts taking over. Mm. And that's when we feel like, you know, we're getting all over the road. We start to shut down. We start to freak out. Yeah. Through my work, what I intend to do is to help an individual with with wisdom and skills and tools to learn how to tenderly go up to self doubt mm. and just invite it back to the back seat <laughs> of the bus. Yeah, it's always going to be there. We yeah. want to start to integrate it. And what happens is when we start to befriend self doubt, when mm. we start to understand its inner workings from an aware perspective Mm. and when we learn the tools to start to to find out what wisdom it has and Mm. and and cultivate a relationship with these parts what happens is we break down the identification we start to unblend Mm -hmm. from being in self-doubt to Self doubt is a part of me mm. but actually my whole self my my most energized compassionate courageous curious self that one that we're fully in flow with when the idea comes yeah. we want that to be who we identify with yeah. we want that part to be driving the bus mm. so i think the first part is becoming aware that the mind or these fears will always conjure up and where they came from is less relevant, but knowing that these stories or inner narratives have typically been born from, from conception to our first seven years of life. That's when these programs and, and, and ideas have been planted through what we've seen and what we've experienced. So it's not our fault. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Like it just happens that way in society and we're not alone. Mm. And then the second part is, is starting to turn toward and be curious. So that for some people like, what? I hate <laughs> feeling self-doubt. I just want to numb it. I just yeah. want to push it away. Like this comes back to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. These parts like self-doubt, they just want to be seen and acknowledged. Mm. Just like we would tend to a young child yeah. who's just having a bit of a tantrum and freaking out. Yeah. When we learn to turn toward and just tenderly be curious, and this is where the somatic work comes in through touch and breathing and being curious, we can see that these parts can calm down actually pretty quickly. yeah, it's it's when we ignore them and we try and run away from them that they take over and then we never do the thing. so it's it's that idea of, learning that it's there, knowing that it's part of the process and then starting to cultivate a relationship where they can be on the bus but be further down the back so we can keep driving, mm. that then enables us to continue with our creative process mm. and create space around these parts yeah. um, so we can keep going and moving forward. Yeah, There's there's very few people that I've met who, who don't suffer from forms of self-doubt. Like these are some artists who are like, top Australian artists, mm. recording artists who mm. all suffer from different degrees of it. No one is immune to it. Mm. But I truly believe that our role as creators, part of our job is to regulate. Yeah. Part of our job in creating is tending to that part. It's a really big part of the piece, if not the most important job, because mm. when we learn to self-regulate and we learn to calm these parts, we can create freely. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, I think when I was younger, I remember always saying I want to be fearless. And a lot of the work I've done is to try and push fear aside. And now I realize that fear is always going to be there. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of, like you said, acknowledging it. And it is like a child. It's chucking a tantrum. And the more I ignore it, the more angry it gets. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and it's sort of like acknowledging it and being like, okay, we're scared. All good. Yeah. We're going anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not letting it drive the bus. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, and I think as well, what I have found is I can often channel that energy into creativity. Mm. So if I'm feeling really irritated or frustrated that's a good time to sit down at the piano or to write and often that's when some really good work can come out. Or if not, we get the feelings down and then on the other side is the space Mm. for work to come through again. Mm. Often it's just a matter of, again, letting it be there and processing it, but often as well you do find
1: some work in there. Mm. That's the way of the attuned artist, right? Mm when we know how to sustainably channel our emotions into Mm. our work, that's beautiful. Yeah. Like the goal is not to be calm and grounded all the time. Mm. The goal is to be regulated. Yeah. To feel our emotions and channel it in healthy ways. Yeah. And if we can do that through our work, like that's, there's power in that. Mm. Yeah.
0: Is that what people mean when they say emotional intelligence? Like I've never really understood Mm. that concept or looked it up, but I know, people kind of talk about having emotional intelligence. Like you see it on dating apps all the time <laughs> and it's like, okay, like what do you think emotional intelligence? What, what are people thinking when they say that?
1: Mm, interesting. I can't speak for everyone yeah. and there are a lot of different terms. Like I know mm. that, you know, the corporate world probably have their own meanings yeah. for that. My understanding of that would be twofold. One understanding our own emotions and understanding that we're emotional beings mm. being aware of our triggers and, yeah. and learning how to move with them yeah and equally understanding it and how we relate to others yeah I think that's the true sweet spot when we start to understand our own inner workings we then have so much more compassion and understanding for mm. others so that emotional intelligence piece is twofold yeah yeah
0: um and I think that's a good point like in terms of allowing our emotions and I feel that with my energy as well for a while I just had this expectation that every day I had to turn up the same Mm. like I had to feel motivated and energetic and calm (laughs) and if I wasn't there was something I wasn't doing right so it's like well what did I do yesterday and why would I feel this way and to try and correct it but then I've learned recently more about how we're cyclical beings, and it's different for men and women. We both run on different cycles. Mm. And that's really helped me be more compassionate to myself and also work it to my advantage. Um, So do you want to talk a bit about this um, and how we can best support our cycles and maybe talk about for men
1: and women? Yeah. Well, I might speak to creative cycles because that speaks to everyone. Great. You know? So because we live in this patriarchal society that we're all impacted by, no matter what gender we are, it's a society that thrives on busyness Mm -hmm. and doesn't value rest. Yeah. So we often apply this go, 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 go attitude to our creative practice. Yeah. But creativity itself is a natural occurrence. It's an impulse, you know, and we can really look to nature for some wisdom around the inner workings of creativity. Yeah. And when we start to understand the cyclic nature of creativity and we start to work with that cycle, man, that's <laughs> where the gold is. Yeah. So no matter again, you know what identity you are, understanding that. Just as nature has four cycles, so does creativity. Mm. And there can also be a micro and a macro of that. So let's start with the spring, right? The spring is that feeling of like a new idea, this excitement, this bursting. You Mm. know, it's the energy of a beautiful sunrise in the morning, it's the it's the energy that we're always searching for, but yeah. we can't make that come. Yeah. Right? And then as we follow an idea through, then we move into a summer. And that's, mm. you know, picture a summer. We've got so much energy. We're really active. We're forming. We're growing. We're building this idea, this mm. vision. And then what comes next is the autumn. Yeah. And this is when we reap the rewards of the practice. This is also when we start to slow things down again. Yeah. And I think... A lot of people are really familiar with the spring and the summer and they don't realize that there's an autumn. Mm. And what's really important in the autumn is we start to reflect on the two seasons past, what worked, what didn't, yeah. you know, how can I shift and change things? Mm. Let's celebrate what we've created. Yeah. Like let's press pause one. and harvest. Yeah. yeah. We always forget that because mm. it's always about doing more. Yeah. And then what comes after the autumn is the winter mm. and the winter is so important when you are trying to push an idea and it is not coming, the question to ask yourself is what is creativity or nature or whatever you think about however you think about it, what is trying to move through me right now? Yeah. And if the answer is nothing, it is because you need to refertilize your soil. Yeah. It is because you need to listen again. It is because you need to make more space. It is because you need to literally rest. Mm. There is so much that we can gain by resting and creating space. And then what happens when we reemerge from that hibernation in winter, the new ideas come. Yeah. So, Checking in with your process. So if you've just gone through this really active process and you're pushing for more, hang on a minute, maybe you should assess are you in an autumn or are you in a winter and what needs to come next? Yeah. So that that from a creative cycle. And then for women, I work with all individuals, but particularly with women, our our womb space mm. is the center of all Ferti- oh, fertility mm. creative life of all kinds not just children but our creative ideas yeah. and within a women's physiology we have all of those four seasons literally within our body yeah so i'll just touch on it now sure. but essentially when women also wake up and start to understand they're in internal cyclic nature and that's whether they have a bleed or not that's whether they have a womb or not yeah and I should also clarify when I say woman I mean womb owners so identity doesn't matter it's more about the physiology of the body when we start to then understand our own internal spring summer autumn and winter we can also match that with our creative process too and that there's a beautiful harmony that happens Mm, yeah
0: yeah and I can I've been doing this for some time now since we've been working together. And it's hard to remember this too. It's mm. a constant practice. Like, you're right, we're always wanting the spring and summer. I get frustrated when I'm not feeling that vibrancy. But only a couple of days ago, I canceled a session with someone, gave it space. And lo and behold, yesterday I had an extremely productive day. And if I hadn't have created that space and had that winter, which was just for a day, that's all I needed. Mm. The spring came again yesterday. Mm. And it's just rest is such a big one that our culture, I think, is learning to accept, but it's taking some time. Yeah. And it's up to us individually to incorporate it into our lives. Mm. Yeah. Um, so before we end this beautiful conversation, and we could talk for hours, <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? And can you share? What you're working on at the moment, and where people can find you if they want to learn more about what you're working on in the world.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think we've covered quite a, an extensive landscape yeah. <laughs> today. Um, I guess I wanted to share that if anybody is feeling activated or triggered by anything that we've discussed, mm. Or resistance to what we've discussed Mm. there's a beautiful portal there an invitation for further exploration in their own inner world yeah um triggers are leading us down a new pathway so if you're listening to this and you're you're trying to search for new ways of doing things and understanding yourself as a creative or an artist um yeah that's that's a really good entry point um and equally if anyone is interested in any other resources around the things we've talked about to reach out to you or I yeah um what I've got coming up so the name of my one-on-one mentoring container is called embodied artistry and I offer three intakes per year and my next intake is a spring intake so from August I'll be opening up a few spots for that a three-month journey just to dive inside your inner world and it's a it's an, a space to then birth your creative mm-hmm. ideas into the world. Um, I'm also a teacher of Vedic meditation, so I will have monthly courses available in Sydney and on the South Coast. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there's lots of other juicy bits and pieces that are coming out early next year, retreats and group journeys and things like that, which I will keep you posted
0: on, Jess. Thank you. And I'll share all of your details on the podcast. But thank you so much for sharing your incredible wisdom today and just further gratitude to how much you've helped me in my own life and I can't wait to continue journeying with you.
1: Oh, it is such an honor, Jess. And, you know, before you arrived here today, I really took some time to celebrate our journey. And mm. that first call that you made with me is still so vivid <laughs> in my mind. And just me feeling the essence of your inner creator, just like calling to be met and to be mm. nurtured. And now to look at you birthing this beautiful project into the world. So honoring you and feeling deeply grateful as well. Oh, thank you, Rach. <laughs> Okay, see ya, bye! <laughs>